Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Food, Wine, and Whiskey in Your Own Backyard. I am your host, Rob, and we have a fun show in store for you today. I am on location with my lovely wife, Sandra, and we are out visiting with Adega Vino Winery. And we have Michael and uh, Andrew Bilger. Am I saying that correctly? That's correct. Okay. You guys nice enough to come on the show and, and let us talk a little bit about Texas wine, but we definitely want to make your winery the star of tonight's show because you guys are doing some fantastic things here. Thank you. Um, Thank we you. came over about, I guess it's been about two months ago. Was that yeah. when we first met you, Andrew? And uh, we're just so impressed, and we thought it would be a lot of fun to have you guys on the show and just kind of let all the listeners kind of get some background on what you guys are doing and and then kind of talk about Texas in general and and what's going on in the region over here. Great, great. Let's start with uh, a little bit about both of you all. You know, a lot of times people hear new winery and they think, well, they must have been wine guys. They must have worked at a winery or the family's in wine or something like that, but I found out from you that's not the case. No, we just drank a lot of wine. And if you're going to drink a lot of wine and it costs money, you might as well make your own. That's exactly correct. There we, we go. We were thinking of ourselves. Okay. So how did that happen? What's the story there? And let's get about this close. Okay, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's kind of a cliched story, but it's true. I wanted to make wine since I was about 17 years old, and uh Michael and I spent a great deal of our summers as kids in California, out near Yosemite, California. And uh, one of my uh, favorite things to do was go to the coast. And uh, so I went to Morro Bay and Los Osos quite a bit during those summers. And uh, going th- over there, you had to go through Paso or you had to go through Atascadero, but during, depending on how you went to uh, those two locations from where we lived. And it was just a uh, something that I saw. You drove through these beautiful vineyards on these little two-lane county roads, and um, it was something that inspired me. Uh, planted the seed, so to speak, to do something with uh, grapes and wine, and I just thought I knew I would never be a corporate guy. My father was a corporate guy, and at a very young age, I realized I would never be able to do what he did. And uh, so that kind of planted the seed, went to college, got a degree in botany with the idea that I'm going to go grow grapes and make wine. <laughs> sure. And then my wife, for whatever reason, started getting pregnant. And um, we how started. That, how that happen? I, I don't know. I had a degree in biology, but it was plants. <laughs> and uh, so we started having children, and she was getting her master's. And I went and got a job. And 25 years later, I said, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's do this. Uh, I talked about it to the, to the degree that everybody in my family and friends were like, yeah, shut up. Yeah. Uh, except for Michael. He's like, I'd like to do that if we ever do that. If you ever want to do that, let's do that. And, uh, you know, just things came together. And uh, we started, and we didn't really know what we were getting into. And uh, things kind of snow, snowballed. <laughs> Michael took a six-week sabbatical and turned into uh, the rest yeah. of his life. I was, I was going to mention that because I read that, you know, kind of yeah. reading on the, on the website. And uh, so everybody knows you, you're a younger winery. You know, Texas in, in general is a young region, still yes. kind of developing. Absolutely. But within that, you guys are still really young. Well, so let's not dumb it down too much. That's a good story. But, you know, he, Andy planted a lot of seeds and, and introduced us to wine. And um, But, you know, there was a recession in 2008, right? And so <clears throat> being 27 years old in a recession is kind of a tough thing to find a job. So uh, I purposely went and found a job at a vineyard. Because they, that was a, a job of recession interest. proof, 
right? Yeah. It was an hourly job, Monday through Friday, where they're going to get pay you cash or a check at the very end of the, the day. And uh, so I got a job at a vineyard in 2008 for the reason that... Here in Texas? Yeah, at Bella in Wimberley. Ranch in Wimberley. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And so uh helped them plant uh, two acres. Uh, myself and two other guys built a one acre for San Giovese and uh, Cab Franc and started on the second acre, and I never actually saw that uh, that vineyard planted. But anyway, long story short, we knew that I had to get a start somewhere and later ended up getting a certificate in viticulture from Texas Tech. And uh, Wally was working in the oil field. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, being in your late 20s during a recession was a terrible time to find a job, so you better find something that makes money or, you know – or uh, wine. Or wine, yeah. And uh, and so, anyway, long story short, uh, we went through, you know, it's very difficult just to start a winery, right? Unless you have a million dollars cash that you just want to spend. So Yeah, um, so people understand that just go, you know, hey, start this was a, a winery. Yeah, so this started in 2008, the actual idea. And I said, Andy, I'm going to go down the road and get a job over at this vineyard. You know, they're building a vineyard. He's like, well, learn all you can. That's right. You know, learn all you can and write it down. And guess what? I wrote it down. And uh, not too long after that, a uh, cousin of mine knew a guy at the Texas Tech program, and they were planting grapes. And uh, that's how we found out about the Texas Tech program. And, uh, you know, okay, that's 2009, 2010. Well, then two, three years later, we're actually, okay, well, now let's find a place to actually plant these grapes because <clears throat> the old adage is that, Plants want to be stressed, and they'll grow in all these crazy environments, and uh, it's all kind of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you need to have you need to have soil with nutrition in it. They want to be happy to produce good grapes. What 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 plant wants to grow? So, listeners who are hearing that, you know, if if they've heard you know about winemaking and things like that, they always hear what you said. You want the vines to be a little bit stressed because the thought there is. You're going to get a, a better fruit on the vine. You're not going to get as much fruit. During a very small stage, the very last stage of erasion. And right the very before last you, stage right of before you that's okay. harvest. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so but the rest of the year, they want to be happy. Yeah, okay. They want to be happy. They yeah. want to have nutrients. They want to have organic soil or organic matter in the soil. They want to have water. They want to have the right temperatures. They don't want, you know, if that was that easy, then the world's best wine would be growing in on the beach, right? Sure. In sand. And that's not where it's growing for the most part. But there are wine regions throughout the world that grapes grow in pebbles and limestone. Limestone. And the best wine regions in the world grow in limestone. And guess what? But they have the whole country is full of wine regions or or it's full of uh, limestone. But anyway, uh, and so. When you fast forward it, you know, it's easy to talk about yourself, right? But when you put everything in a working order, our story probably doesn't make sense to the average person going to um, start a winery. No. It's built off of a brother's dream, and the little brother found an interest in that. And uh, it's hard to equate into a business plan how that works. Well, it sounds like so, it was just kind of meant to be. I mean, you, a lot you of hope sh- so. a lot of shit came together that in the universe probably doesn't normally come together. Yeah, and, and I want to get back to a, uh, one of the points you made, uh, Michael, is that you know when when you talk about not being easy to start a winery, um, a lot of people may not understand that you know it's 
three to four years prior to that. You know, once you get property wow. and you start clearing land and you put, you know, some, some vines in the ground, there's not like bottles, wine in the bottle that next year. It, it takes a while. No, and that's one of the things when uh, I was in my mid-40s, I said, you know, if we're going to do this, let's, let's do this. And then Michael and I started looking for property, and that took about a year. And uh, finding this place was an absolute miracle because we had looked at a lot of places that weren't great. They were great for people to come to, but they weren't great for growing grapes. And um, I credit Michael a couple of times saying, Andy, if you want to grow grapes, let's find a place that you can grow grapes, not just a place that people will stop on a bus or stop in their car and totally agree. And so. You know, uh, and, and in the end, I have to give my, if Elena, my wife, listens to this, and I don't give her credit for actually finding this piece of property, I will never hear the end of it. You won't so sleep at home anymore? I won't, I won't, no, yeah. I'll be sleeping on one of these couches here in the <laughs> tasting room. But uh, Elena, we were taking our kids to camp. She said, hey, uh, look at that. Uh, that property's for sale. And I said, we'll look at it when we're coming back by. And it just happened to be uh, the property we ended up buying today. And this is a street that I've literally been going up and down since I was 13 years old. This road, 1623 Ranch to Market Road from Blanco to Stonewall, Texas, is a street that I've driven up and down since I was a kid. And I remember this road. And so having a piece of property on this road has an extra level of meaning to me because it really does connect me to my youth. A lot of sentimental meaning. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just to be crass, the gas station in Stonewall that they're about to tear down. I remember taking a piss in that bathroom in 1982 and that's where LBJ used to buy gas. Is that right? Oh yeah. So he and I have a lot in common. So, so the people listening are, are getting, you know, they understand now that this is home to you guys. You didn't move to Texas to try to make wine in Texas. This is where you're from. And, and you said that you you absolutely loved wine and being out in California, but you never had. I mean, one let's let's be honest. You know, real yeah, estate freaking expensive, yeah. and who would want to do that? But uh, you, you always had that passion to come back to Texas and, yes. and make wine here. Yeah, and we we uh, we spent summers there, and I I gave it a go for a year after I graduated. But Michael was a lot smarter and said, you know, f that. I'm I'm a Texan. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, you know, te- Texas is our home. This is this is where yeah. this is where we want to make wine, and uh, this is where we grow grapes, and this is all of our wine is 100% Texas wine. Uh, yeah. We truly believe in that, uh, and uh, I give a shout out to Chris at uh, William Chris for uh, starting the 100% Being very Texas. vocal about yeah, it. Yeah, the 100% Texas wine, but that's something that we truly believe in, and uh, you know we'll always make wine from Texas wine, or we won't make it. And you bring up a good point and, and a little shout out to Chris and them because I think they do a great job as well. But I think you all like them understand. And I think, you know, Texas, this region early on, were trying to make the wines that they thought people wanted to drink, right? The big cabs and things like that. You know, to your point earlier, Michael, the soil, the weather, the climate, all plays a part in, in what grapes will do well here and, and really shine. And I think you guys have done a great job being as young as you are, really understanding that or, or really doing the research or whatever it was that got you to the point that you said, if we're going to do this, here's the varietals that we need to have yeah, to make sure this is successful or has a good chance to yeah, be successful. We don't, we don't know 100%. You know, so I'm very vocal about Tariga Nationale, and I, I enjoyed that grape uh, variety for a number of reasons. Uh, this year we're finding out that it's, you know, we have some uh, wood damage in the vineyard. Uh, where we don't have it on other varieties. So, you know, over the next few years, maybe we'll find out that hmm, 
man, it's just, you know, we, we don't know how to combat some of that, that wood damage sure. uh, or wood disease. Um, uh, you know, a lot of these things are uh, learning uh, as you go curves and learning as you go and, and doing, being hyper vigilant about talking to as many people as you can and being educated about it and not making decisions all the time just for a monetary uh, reason. And that when I say that, I want to be a little philosophical in it and you, know, you have to make money. So we're not saying that you can't, you know, create a wine and give it away for free, but what you have to, yeah, you have to, like, we're kinda, not giving it away. For you kind of, you kind of have to, f- you kind of have to follow your gut feeling or, or philosophy sometime. And, and, uh, anyway, well, look, a lot of these, a lot of the grapes that we've planted are, uh, you know, our name is a Degavina wine cellar in Portuguese. Um, and we have Portuguese in our family, but a very, well, we have 5 million times more than Elizabeth <laughs> Warren has a native American. And I don't Come care. What I don't care what your political point is. It's just, I'm just telling you the truth. We grow nine <laughs> different varieties. Okay, and so, but, five of them are native Portuguese varieties. Well, and I was okay. going to bring up the name, but since you brought it up, tell everybody in, in Portuguese, you know, what that means. It means wine cellar. Okay. And uh, we picked, we, Michael and I tried to pick with my background in, in botany and Michael's background and getting his certificates and uh, his education in horticulture and, and viticulture and enology. We tried to pick grapes that work well in Texas. And some of them were a given. We didn't have to think too hard because there's a million people doing it. We had Tempranillo and Morved and all of these different varieties. But some of them, we kind of took a swing at the, at the fence. Uh, we grow a white grape called Arinto that hasn't done well in the area. And uh, we thought, hey, let's plant 16 plants and see how it goes. And so we planted some plants, and, and they went really well. And they produced a lot of grapes, of which we just made our first rosé out of this past uh, year in, two, in 2020. Uh, Arinto is a white grape from Portugal. but It's actually we, a native grape species to the Duero Valley, which is a very interesting thing. So, um, and then there's also only six grows of it, as we know of today. Correct. In the there US. may be others. In the U.S. Yeah. yeah. There and may I, be others, and there probably are, but uh, the plant has just been legal to sell the USDA allowed it to be sold within like Three the last years. decade. Okay. Oh no, no, seven years. Cause, well, cause 10 years ago, I, roughly. We're so. brothers. We never agree on time frames. But anyways, <laughs> very recently, my point there is, in fact, it's so new that I just was told by the TTB, you can't name any wine after a rento because we don't recognize it as a grape. Really? So there's I other can, synonyms for that variety that they may recognize, but we just don't know. No, no, we checked. There's not. No. So, anyway, it's our, a varietal. I don't know. Our attorney, I've never heard of it. our attorney said, Andy, go ahead and petition the TTB to recognize it. Takes about two years. If, until then, it's a white wine. Okay. okay so we're, we we can deal with that. But we we swung for the fences on a couple of the grapes. Torrega Nacional is a grape that we grow a lot of. We try to buy a lot of. It does uh, decently. Well, I'm not going to say it does great or it does well. Uh, but it produces fabulous wines, and Michael's produced some fabulous wines from it, one of which, uh, you know, we won a gold medal in San Francisco with uh, last year in 2020 in one of our first. To uh, blend a Merlot and Tariga National. It's really? Real, yeah. <laughs> and, Michael, tell that story because that's an interesting story with uh, picking it at Robert Clay and getting a. Yeah, we just last minute, uh, you know, we have Tariga National planted uh, here, and it's very hard to get a hold of if everyone really wants to keep their Tariga and not sell it. If they make wine, and if they do sell wine, or if they do uh, sell grapes, it's usually under contract to someone else. And uh, 
you know, I like to describe Tariga Nacional as a Cabernet on some wild steroids as a lot of big fruit and volume up front and smacks you around. It, yeah, it smacks you around a little bit and it also has a lot of uh, tannin on it. So are you growing it or so, are you yeah, we grow it? we grow you three acres it. of it. Yeah. And okay. sourcing it. And sourcing it. And sourcing it. And if you're listening you you Grow Tariga National, call me up and let's buy some <laughs> and let's work together. So that's interesting um, that you say it's like a, a cab on, on steroids. Yeah. A grape that I think about when I think about that kind of description is uh, Sagrantino. Okay. So it's, it's, kinda... it's similar in big big volume, big mouth, uh, a, lot, a lot of mid-palate, a lot of fruit. But can age for a while? Absolutely. It's one of the largest tannin producers. So Tanat's known wild to be the, 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 the – biggest antioxidant producer so tannins an antioxidant so we'll age you well right that's why all the italians live so long because they drink so much wine right <laughs> joke but um they don't live long right now they don't live long right now <laughs> but, you know. that's the smoking that's the smoking that's so, killing right now. so um <clears throat> it's a it's a beautiful grape uh so like what's it. what's the blend on that so the blend on that wine in particular is 50% Merlot and 50% Trigan uh, Nationale from no. uh, Robert Clay in Mason, Texas. And Tell them about the high bricks. And, and so, yeah, we uh, we went out to pick this. Uh, Late in the season. Yeah, Trigan. Uh-huh. We tricked some friends into helping us because they thought, well, Mason's a beautiful area. We wouldn't mind going out there. And, and we said we had beer. And we, okay. Uh, we had beer. And a little food. Yeah. Her, no, we didn't have my wife food. food. Her family came out and helped us, and we they didn't were awesome. They worked all night. We didn't lie to them. We told them it was going to yeah, suck. Yeah, we told them it was going <laughs> to suck. Uh, but we went out and hand-picked, hand-harvested all these grapes, and it was just a very high bricks. High sugar. So high sugar translates into higher alcohol. Uh, that can be fun for some people, but it can also be a, a major turnoff to have hot wine, right? Well, he's a and bourbon so, lover, so Rob would love it. Yeah, you like it. I'm, so I'm a wine lover too, so you got that balance, you know. So, yeah. so it was about 17 percent uh, alcohol. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah we yeah. used a. How much champ- you get taxed on that? It was a, it was we a had to use a champagne yeast to get it all the way uh, through. High alcohol Zinfandel yeast. We had or to use brother. a high infant, Zinfandel <laughs> yeast. So uh, reminiscent so of the champagne yeast that we've used. Anyway, <laughs> we uh, we uh, fermented it. It fermented pretty close to dry and it needed to be blended out so we uh i loved it though by the way yeah really it was i mean the the single varietal was had a lot of i always talk about grapes in the terms of tools that they have in the tool chest sure and some grapes have one tool like a chardonnay if you don't have that tool it's just not going to work but the wine that mike made out of the out of the chariga had a bunch of very good qualities to it but it was really hot it yeah. was, yeah. you know, it was 16, alcoholic. We didn't sixteen we didn't, or seventeen yeah. percent alcohol, which is way over the point. No, is that because they left it on the vine too long? Yes. Well, that was yeah. our, you know, we left it on the vine too long. Oh, that so was we guys. had the opportunity to pick it a week before, but it's very difficult to find help. And okay, we had we to had pick a, it ourselves. We had okay. to get the weekend crew together to go. It was like 20, it. Yeah. 28 bricks, twenty eight point five bricks, something like that, up there. But uh, it was high alcohol anyway. Long story short, we made a good wine out of it, and it won an award before we opened. That was cool. That's yeah. awesome. You still have some of that, or is it gone? Oh, we still have some. Okay, yeah. save well, a little we'll, for your We'll open a bottle later for you. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, brothers, but it's not just you two. This is truly a, a kind of family thing going on here. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk yeah. about how important is family and everybody kind of, I mean, your son's here, Andrew, and uh, I've seen your wife. I'm, yeah. Does she help out around? I mean, oh, this is truly a family yeah. kind yeah. of Not to venture. mention her family helps out. So it's a multi-generational, okay. multi-family 
It's got uh, some branches going all over. Yes. Okay. Yeah, in fact, her parents have been here, I think, for every harvest that we've harvested, including in 2018 when we harvested the Tarigan Asinal. Charles uh, knows how to operate a mean weed whacker, too. <laughs> yes. And so good at that. Our, my, my boys, uh, you know, Michael's boy, he doesn't have his newest son or his son here who is, what, nine weeks old, ten weeks no, old? No, he's 12 weeks old now. Wow. Well, congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So you have uh, that son and then older children? No, no, Fletch is their first. Oh, really? Okay. And Fletch. Fletch. And Fletch is even a family name. Fletcher yeah. is our grandfather's name. And then Lee is his middle name, which is uh, Tiffany's grandfather's name. Oh, very cool. So we keep, but, you know, so get back to, you know, how, how is this still a family winery, right? Before we get too ADD on some of these conversations, <laughs> right? So the reason why it's a family winery is that you're the ADD one. The reason it's a family winery is that uh, uh, if, if, we, if we just had this business plan that said, hey, man, we're going to have this tasting room. It's going to look like this. And we're going to do this, 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 and this. Our family probably wouldn't want to have had anything to do with it. And so the reason why it's a family, and this is philosophy of me thinking about this. The reason why it's a family winery Pros on. is because we guilt trip the hell out of each other into helping each other out. And, and thinking it's a good idea. They yeah. really think it's a good idea. And so that has worked since 2016 <laughs> when we started building this place. And now it's like an essential tool to make your other family member feel bad for not helping you out so over here. So manipulation but is now, a family skill. So our sister, who but, has yeah. never been paid a dime, has been a huge help to this. Okay. Uh, our father and my mom, but my father especially, he, our father yeah, especially, he, Boyd Bilger. I was getting ready to ask that question there. He's, but you, he is they just bought a house in Fredericksburg last weekend. We've been trying to get him move up here for five years. But, you know, if everything that works here works because he fixed it, uh, without, with the exception of computers, those work because we didn't let him fix them. Yeah. He'll never listen to this, I think. But anyways, <laughs> uh, you know, he's just he's been the inspiration of somebody who works seven days a week, works hard, gives it his all, and is willing to do anything for his kids. Yeah. We, we were raised, like, we, we work, okay? That's how we were raised, and that's what you have to do to run a winery, and I don't know much about it, so we're not going to tout ourselves to be the best winemakers. We're not going to tout ourselves, but we're going to be proud of the product that we grow and create and that we produce. And so we're proud of the wines that we release, and there are certain wines that we haven't released um, because they may not be at the mark that we have for them. And, uh, you know. But we were taught. We We were taught to work. And be proud of the work that you do. And just get up if something yeah. if uh, if somebody serves you a plate of shit, you just get up the next day. You just day. get up and you take that plate of shit yeah. and you make yeah. the best. But shit you're not going to you serve a plate of shit. You're, oh you're, no, you're, you're kind of like that expediter in the back of the kitchen <laughs> yes. at a restaurant. Is it worthy to go out or not? And you guys so kind our, of make that call. That's not something that we're interested in. So yeah, we, the, we 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 make such small volumes of wine that we would rather lose then uh, serve something to some... I tell people this all the time, and I probably told you this the first time you yeah, came you in. Yeah, you have. Michael and I, if we don't like the wine and we don't agree on it, it never sees the light of day in our tasting room, and that's not a lie. We've argued about a lot of things uh, as far as wine. and uh, But in the end, we've always said, oh, it's not ready, and or it's not. we're not going to sell this wine. It doesn't didn't fall into the kind of the the lane that you guys are operating in. If you didn't feel for like whatever it, reason, yeah, okay. for whatever. So there's reason. a variety of reasons that it could be deemed we're not going to put it out. Well, so like with our varieties, Michael will call. Hey, look, uh, and I'm making this up. Don't base your purchases on this. The Syrah, it's not as good as I think it should be. 
let's, uh, let's, let's do this. Let's blend it with this and this. And so we, we go through those, those, those blending, we go through these exercises and then hopefully we don't ever know when you do it, but hopefully you make the right decision to produce something that tastes better than it would have on its own. Sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people around the, the world are very hung up on single varietals and, uh, I don't want to steal Michael's thunder on that, but for us, we want to produce the best wines that we can produce. And if that means we're blending, we're blending. And if that means that the single varietal is banging and your, you know, drops your shorts, then that's the wine that we're going to produce. And Andy, that's what shorts we're and skirts. All right. You can't just say shorts. Well, I was looking at the females. I didn't want to offend them. <laughs> so if we can produce a panty dropper and it works, then we're or gonna a produce... jock dropper. It doesn't matter. Again, he's falling short on both of those each time. I'm just playing. Yeah, I'm just. I'm not that woke. But you know, to your point, to your point, Andrew, uh, a lot of people who might be into you know Americans. I'm going to speak for Americans because we talk old world. Almost everything's blended. Yes. I mean, you go to Bordeaux, you're not going to find a single variety. Okay, so I've, there's a rarely there there there. Here's a here's a conversation. Well, let me like, finish my point oh, just yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People in America go to Napa, and because of the rules, and they can put you know Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot, but you know, 95, 99% of those are still blended. You know, you got to have 75% yes. to be able to call it Correct. a single varietal. So blending is something to me has to be done. It's something that's not has to, but it's important to get it's something a, in the bottle important. that's balanced it, and, and complement the grapes complement each it's other. It's the very, most very well. important thing. The winemaker, the most I important agree. tool the winemaker has. Yeah. But go ahead. I I, well, so, uh, this is taken from, Conversations of winemakers in California who've worked with others uh, across, you know, across the, the pond. But, you know, some people will say the biggest complaint about American wine is that they're hung up on single varieties. And I'm sort of lifting a uh, conversation that I heard on another podcast, but it made me think about this. And I, so, <clears throat> you know, you sit around and you talk to other wine professionals and I kind of in a similar agreement. You know, I think the best wine in the barrel should go in the blend no matter, you know, what your marketing is, you know, a good barrel of wine is a good barrel of wine, whether well, it's Tempranillo, whether uh, it's Our Merlot. goal, isn't our goal to, to make the, the best wine and put it in a bottle yeah. so that when we serve it to you, Rob, and your wife and our friends, they're like, that's good wine. <laughs> yeah, that's good wine. Or to, 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 to quote my favorite uh, YouTube guy. Fuck, that's delicious. Can we say that? Is that yeah, Sam, the cooking guy? Yes, Sam. So, okay. are you impressed? I am. <laughs> so, but, but why are we hung up on single varieties? You know, well, I want to so kind of break I that down a little uh, bit. You say we. Okay, so just the winemakers, winemakers, wine, wine professionals. Okay, do you wine, think they are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. I, or are they serving to a person, a consumer that thinks it's a single varietal because of the way they? Because okay. I think, so this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. Go right, right ahead, man. Fire away. <laughs> okay. So everyone wants Tempranillo. That is this big, giant, robust uh, tannin bomb. And that's not what it. And is. that's not really what Tempranillo is. Right. And uh, people are finally talking about that in the state of Texas because they're realizing that well, we've been growing Tempranillo here, you know a lot of it for the last 10 years and pushing it, pushing it. But who wants wine that you have to adulterate, adulterate so much to get to a point that takes the beauty and the finesse and the, the beauty out of the science, the beauty out of the craftsmanship. It takes the beauty out of the winemaker and to create all these giant volumes of wine that has been 
manipulated to be larger on the mouthfeel, to have a longer, stronger finish. More viscosity. Mm. More viscosity and all this is bullshit, okay? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because I have to say Michael told me not to talk about any of this before we started. Okay, well, <laughs> but he gets to. We're getting into it. So <laughs> I'm going to say it in a very nice way in, in the fact that Tempranillo will be like that in the right spot at the right vineyard, picked on the right season. and Right tor- terroir. I mean, the right the, winemaker. Yes. Yeah, that's what I said. The, the right vineyard, the right spot, the right climate, the right winemaker. I was just right trying to use sexy French language, Michael. And, uh, you know, it's like, that, that, that's dumb because there's already grapes out there that will do that naturally, even on a bad year. Zinvendel. And so, um, Trigger National will do that. You let it go to 25 bricks, it's going to be a tannin bomb, period. To knots up there, too. Yep. And so, some of the best, world's best Tempranillos are. Elegant and smooth. Smooth is a bad word in the wine profession. I don't care. It'll be graceful and elegant on your palate. Rounded. <clears throat> it can be rounded. And some and it may be lighter bodied, lighter color, and still give you the attributes of Tempranillo that you're looking for. Excuse me. And so uh, that's just one little example. Um, everyone's caught up with having you know, wines from around the world, uh, single varieties. It's like we already grow 100 different varieties in the state of Texas. You can't have the best Dolcetto. You can't have the best Tempranillo. You can't have the best Morved. You can't have the best Merlot. You can't, you can't have, have any the best good Chardonnay. Riesling. You can't have the best Riesling from the same vineyard in central Texas every year. It's just not going to work. So and I think, though, that opens up a big old you know a big old spectrum of, of conversation and um yeah you know texas may be the wild west and everything but uh are we making wine for our winery i'd like to say that a dega vino is making wine for for our winery or are we making wine for the masses and we're definitely not making we're wine not for the, the masses. yeah we're not making wine for the masses like i mean or that uh, tempranillo 18 that we just poured you up it's a lighter mid-palate tempranillo i mean um that's a new wine that we're just kind of trying out, but we have an 18 uh, Neil Newsom Tempranillo that it's made and, or sorry, just bottled, uh, you know, a year ago. And it's a beautiful wine. We're going to hold on to it for a little bit longer. It's coming together in the bottle well, but is that a tannin bomb? No, but it, it, it's fruit forward and it's elegant and it's soft on but your palate. But not, not being a and tannin bomb. And it still bomb. says, tam- it still says Tempranillo all day. Yeah, know? but it doesn't have to be a tannin no, bomb. No, it doesn't. No. Uh, you know, and, and, and that just to me makes it for, you know, maybe say, you know, younger or inexperienced wine drinkers, it's a little bit more approachable for them. Sure. Uh, and, and it can still be a very nice, elegant, balanced wine yeah. that and they're I, going to enjoy. And I find the tannins are usually that, that breaking point where people turn off. Sure. Uh, Not understanding what it is. Exactly right. We have a couple wines that are very, uh, you know, very light Pinot Noir style uh, wines that uh, I call our gateway wines, our, ga- our gateway reds. So if you're a white drinker, rosé drinker, we have a couple wines that really attract you, but I find that that tannin in like a 17 Tempranillo, that's what finally like, they're like, Oh, I'm out. And I'm, yeah. and it makes sense to me because that's where that tannin sure. starts to show up. It can be a stringent on your, you know, sure. And a detectable you don't drink lot every day, you know, but I, I'd like stringent. to say, I'd like to say this. There is, I think that the winemakers right now in Texas, and I'm just going to use a, a broad paintbrush. I think we have a, a bunch of, 
really well educated, really well practiced. Folks, young Turks that are really trying hard. Trying to be innovative? Trying to be oh, big time. innovative okay. and make the best wines they possibly can from the grapes they're growing or the grapes that they're provided in Texas. And uh, that's, that's something that new that's happened over the last five to ten years. And uh, that's, that's why I think the Texas wine industry is, is on a hockey stick level to catch up to Napa. And I've been made fun of for saying that. But um, you have a bunch of folks here that, uh, <laughs> I kid you not, Michael dreams about fermentation. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, he, I mean, and, and he, he calls me in the morning and he's pissed off that he's dreaming about fermentation and not about his son and his wife. Yeah. So, hey. look, I'm going to say it this way, you know, uh, and you can tell me if I'm hurting your feelings or not. Uh, but the winemaker, I'm better looking. Okay. Oh no! Wait. Hey, that's why we're on the radio. That's why we're on the radio. You know what they say about radio people, right? I feel like you're up in here, <laughs> Andrew. You're reading my mind. No, I'm kidding. Um, but you know, I've all, you always, or to me, winemaking is part of the process. But uh, you know. To me, a winemaker can take a, a bad year, you know, yeah. from, from all the reasons, and make something that's still really good. That's where he yeah. shines. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, but the hope is, is that all the stars align, and what you harvest is fantastic. And all you're doing is oh, going, yeah. hey, where do we want to, how do we want to, these are all great, how do we play with these? Because you never hear, you know, you hear, that was a great vintage, meaning that year was great. You never hear that winemaker kicked ass last year. That yeah. guy did a great you know, in, in a terrible year. In a terrible year. And, and that's why. We're I, still learning big I, time on that end. You know? That's why I say, though, that winemaking is so dynamic because Michael will get, present a plan and he'll say, this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, these are the, we talk about the yeast we're going to use, let's say, and we talk about the barreling and we talk about when we're going to pick them at what bricks or the yeast we're not going to use. Yes. And, but you don't know. So I'll just give you an example of when that all goes array awry. Last year we had more ved in our estate here and, uh, we made the decision after picking a little bit of it to let it hang. We were like, you know what? Let's let it hang. We're going to get higher bricks. It's not where we want it. The phenolics aren't right. The seeds aren't where we want them. So we let it hang. We get 10 inches of rain. And then it was, when do we pick it? It sucks. Yeah. Do we pick it now or do we pick it in another week? So, you know, Michael's out there literally 20 times a day. Andy, it's at this. I think it's going to fall off the vine. Oh, Finally, we make the decision. Let's pick it. So it's all hands on deck. We pick the grapes, we ferment, and we make wine. We're making this sound way more interesting than it actually really <laughs> truly is. Michael, I'm a firm believer that we could be the next uh, deep sea fishermen's if yeah. you just if you just come out and watch us. Yeah, <laughs> the, the TV show. Because <laughs> fishing is boring as shit to watch. So I was picking fucking grapes. <laughs> 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 that or, might be an episode or growing them. It's like grass. You can just watch it grow. So I, well, I, I was talking about lawn grass. I enjoy I growing grapes and I enjoy mowing the lawn. So dad enjoys mowing the lawn. Mowing the lawn is a, that, listen, there is an art to mowing the lawn. First of all, it you, truly you, is. You got to have a routine. Depending there's, on, there's a, depending on which just, direction you mow. That's exactly right. That's what depending I was going to say. On, there's oh, a lot shit. of different. I, I see Rob and Mike are like simpatico on yeah, this. There's yeah. a lot of variables. Whereas I'm like, I just get mad cut at my the son. I'm like, dude, grass. we don't mow the yard that way. You got to push it this way. 
Yeah. If you have it's that, important. if you okay, well, it depends on if you have your deck, if you're a riding lawnmower kind of guy, yeah. are you still pushing? Which is nothing wrong with. We do both, but <laughs> but you have you a got that yard deck, if you have a riding you got that deck, we're city folk. Or if you're pulling, if you're pulling a mower too, which some people could call it a hog, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, depending on the length, if you have that deck set up too high and you're like, I'm gonna keep this long. Are we really talking about? <laughs> are we really? You're talking? getting split ends, right? <laughs> That doesn't look pretty in the, when it starts doesn't rain. You know, I forgot that he had those great sound effects until yeah. right now. He's, he's, he's been very laid back with not using them. <laughs> so, Hit it out of the park. <laughs> okay, so let's do this. Let's, let's take a quick pause. I'm going to let everybody know that I'm drinking some fantastic San Giovese that we get. Thank you. Uh, you guys have produced here. But we'll come right back, and uh, we'll, we'll, I want to jump into all the varietals that you do and, yeah. and let people know kind of the wines that you're making here, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Awesome. All right, we'll be right back. Get on up. Woo! Get on up. All right, a little Michael and Andy adding to the entry back into the show. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Give us a little more, Michael. Come on. You got the rhythm going. Oh, you don't want to hear it. <laughs> no more? Yeah, baby. Just do that dance. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We are back. We're going to get into the varietals of what you guys are offering, the wines that you're making, and kind of what you're putting out. Uh, That's what she said. And uh, before we get into those, let's let's talk a little bit about you guys like to t- partake. You know, we talk to a lot of winemakers and wine people it's not the only alcoholic beverage that they enjoy. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, right? we enjoy all of them. All of them. Exactly. Gin, fortunately, yeah, potato I, juice. Yes, beer. Okay. I mean, beer. Okay. The best wine in the world is made with beer. Okay, that's which one? Uh, all of them. <laughs> all of them. Yes. So uh, you guys told me, we, we chatted a little bit, and you guys told me you're into some bourbon. So I, I brought a few bottles of bourbon that I thought we could sip on while we're talking wine. Yeah, you kind of blew us away with your picks here because they're Picks at one we've probably not seen, heard of, and are way above the our The old Weller is just calling my name here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're so going we're we're, to get to that one. We're super stoked that you brought us these bourbons. So we're, we're starting with a – so what, what I, the way I'm kind of lining these up for you guys tonight as we, we drink and, and we talk is I'm, I'm doing it by proof, kind of building the palate. So okay. uh, the E.H. Taylor, all of theirs are always uh, 100 proof. But except for their single barrel. So when they do a small batch, a rye or a the single barrel, always 100 proof. So we're going to start there, and then we'll go to the Four Roses limited edition from 2019, which is thought to be the best limited edition release from Four Roses in the last four or five years. Rob, are, you, are you sure you want, the, want to waste that on us? Yeah, absolutely, man. You can't, you can't know what you're missing and until you try it. And so now I'm going to be anxious to see you guys going, where the hell do I get some of this? Hey, sorry, baby may turn me into a full fledged bourbon drinker. <laughs> She'll be like, well, that's the last advice to cross off the freaking list. So we, we started talking, you know, the, the listeners have heard us say a few varieties that we uh, varietals that we've uh, talked about that you guys make here or grow here to make wines with. Um, what, what just fire through them. I mean, we know yeah. Spanish is a big influence. Uh, Portugal. So we have we have 12 acres of uh, state grapes grown here. Tintacao. So we have uh, nine varieties. So Andy just said the first one, Tintacao. Tariga. 
So I'm going to go ahead and just give the microphone to Andy, oh, no, you and then finished. he can walk out with the just, radio show. I, I was just trying so to So we, uh, we have 12 acres planted here, so we have an uh, acre and a half of Tinta Cow planted. I'll just go through the varieties. Tinta Cow, Tariga Nationale, Morved, Tempranillo, the White Grapes, Arento and Alvarino. We also have Sangiovese. Cab Franc. Cab Franc and Susau. And so that's a lot of... Uh, varieties all of them are planted to a minimum of a half acre and the max acreage is three acres on those so you can do the math if you want to fool around with that um but our mainstays are Tariga Nationale at three acres Morved and Tempranillo at three acres and then we we start going down on that Alvarino and Arinto we have about I don't know two acres of Arinto and about an acre of Alvarino and that's going to go into a nice white blend here soon which we, uh, we hope will be reminiscent of a Vino Verde. Yeah, okay. So we're kind of going yeah. back and forth with the light crispiness. Not necessarily the effervescence that you grab in a, a traditional Vino Verde, but a nice blend. Nice. Now, you left out one varietal that yeah. I, I thought you might have here, kind of with that you know Spanish influence, yeah. that I'm going to ask maybe you'll have in the future, if you thought about it, the Grenache. Oh, Grenache, yes. We would love to have Grenache. We yes. buy a okay. lot. We buy yeah. as, much, buy as, as yeah. much as we can. We love working with Grenache. Okay. I love okay. Grenache. And, when, and you, it, when you talk about Mouvedra and Syrah, I'm yeah. thinking, okay, we, we need have Grenache as well. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Mike some props here because I think one of the top two best wines we have to release in the next nine months is a Grenache that uh, we got out of uh, West Texas, uh, High Plains. From a friend of ours, One Elm, correct? Yeah, well, yep. Brad Stewart. Brad Stewart. So, uh, it is probably one of twenty the, months in barrel. One of the best, wow. one of the best Grenaches I've ever had. I, I I love Grenache. I'm a Grenache snob. Okay, and uh, it, I'm with it, you. it's just it, it's just banging. It's a beautiful fruit. It has a lot of luscious uh, qualities to it that you don't always you know it's kind of like a 3D fruit compared to a lot of other fruits. But a but a but a it has that tannin structure that you would expect on a Grenache. And uh, it's, it, it, I mean, I'm just have to say, I mean, and Michael will tell you, we, we don't give a lot, each other a lot of compliments unless Thank they're you. due. And it's due. It's a, it's a fabulous wine. I can't wait for it to hit the streets. Well, thanks. We're gonna, it's going to be uh, on the tasting menu in a month or two. Is uh, it really? Yeah, yeah, it will be. Okay, we're, cool. we're, we're simply waiting on waiting labels. Waiting on the labels. Which on is the one. the Freaking bane of our existence. <laughs> yes, I've heard a lot so, of people say that. So uh, back to the estate vineyard, which is our pride, and that's our prize our prize pig right there. It really is. Um, and that's where we spend most of our uh, working hours is in the vineyard and making wine and just keeping the place uh, landscaped and up to par, you know, so you're not walking through. Also, let me say this as well. Um, a lot of people have show vineyards. You know, vineyards of people drive past so they can get to the winery. Yeah, I'm gonna, I was about to say something, but I'll shut up. Go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> Jack we want to show Jackass. you. We want to show no. We want to show you what you can do in the Texas Hill Country. So our vineyard is a show vineyard. Come over here, and we'll show you how hey, it's supposed to be done. No, not how it's supposed to be done. How we think it's how, how we think it do, it does well here. I'm not going to say it's supposed to be done that way because you can do it another way and it can be just as good or better. But we take a lot of pride and there's a lot of education. There's a lot of uh, um, physical work that's done in the vineyard and, with and myself and two other. And I want to chime in Tony. there on, on a that's point. That's an important, important part. 
from a wine drinker. I think people who are looking to find good wine, there's people who come to this area, Napa included, any wine region, to go have a good time. They're just popping in wine. Yeah, sure. They're going to buy yeah, a they bottle. They should. You can yeah, have a absolutely. But then there's also other wine people who enjoy good wine, and they're going to seek it out. I always think about, you know, a nice restaurant. doesn't matter where you put it. If you're producing good food, people will find you. Word's going to get out. And right. I kind of think of you all kind of that way, and well, I can thank name you. A, a couple others. But I think if you're doing something right, people are going to find you. Word's going to get out that you're, you're doing it right, you're producing good juice, and, and uh, well, it's just going to happen. Look, we think about all kinds of stuff in, in the vineyard. So uh, when I say we think about all kinds so we think of – the conventional way how to grow grapes. And that's a conventional way that's in every grape-growing region, VSP, trellis so training. For people who might be listening who don't understand that when we start talking about the trellis and things like that, yeah. kind of give them a, a quick kind of overview. Okay, well, so, so the, all of our vines, for the most part, are trained in VSP, uh, which means vertical shoot positioning. And the majority of the world's grapes are planted the VSP vertical shoot positioning. Basically, a grapevine wants to grow straight up towards the sun, and you allow it to, and you tuck it between some catch wires so it grows high and tight, and it makes it look real pretty, and you can grow th- some wonderful fruit out I of it. I thought he was going to hit the button and said, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I missed but, an opportunity. <laughs> but, you know, some, right, of the, some, of the, uh, some of the world's grape-growing regions, uh, you know. You can have a Geneva sheet. You can have head prune. Yeah, you can have all kinds there's, of stuff. There's, there's all kinds of different ways to grow You can grapes. be in the Azores and grow them in rock and never do anything yeah. other than clip them down. So, yeah. so we, do a, we do something that uh, is easy to learn. You can look at it and see, you know, where you should prune. Um, and it's easy and quick to teach others because you just can't sit down and <clears> – <throat> take a class for two months before you go work in a vineyard, you kind of need to learn on the spot. So you get, you get 20 minutes and a bunch of, uh, I mean, really true. Yeah. We can set you up for whatever we're doing during the day and probably 20, 30 minutes. But I will say this, that, that the, you know, the vineyard for us is, and this is a cliche you hear from all, all around Texas and the world. The wine is made in the field. It's and very so, true. And we believe that 100%. We, 95% of what Michael does is done out there in the field. Sure. He steers at 5% at the end. And, and I do that with the help of Ricky and Tony who, you know, don't go fucking around with your employees. If you treat them nicely and you treat them and you, sh- and you, sh- and you have like a mutual appreciation for the work you're doing. Love of wine. Yeah, and a love of wine. No explanation to it. I'm not quite sure. And the reason talk about fucking around with your employees. <laughs> well, the reason, I, hey, the reason I say that is, uh, uh, the reason I say that is because there's a lot of people out there that enjoyed working in a vineyard, and then they had some dickhead yell at them because for whatever reason, and then that person doesn't want to work in a vineyard anymore. And, and that's we, the truth. And so we try to be the opposite of that as best you can. Yeah. And the folks that we have out here under Michael and. and and, uh, I mean, even the guys, that the kids that you met today working in the tasting room. They work in the vineyard, too. They work in the vineyard. All of us work in the vineyard. We don't all work as much as Michael, Tony, and Ricky in the vineyard. Sure. But everybody gets out there. Everybody, everybody does their share when they can. And it's an important portion of, in fact, it's the most important part of the winemaking process. And, uh, and that's something that, yeah, that's something that sounds really super cliche. And you can joke around about Lots of other things, but one thing that you can't joke around about is 
There's no vineyard in the world except for, you know, here or there that has, you know, fly-by-night workers that produces quality fruit and exceptional wine. Um, Quality fruit and exceptional wine is... is, Indicative of quality workers. It is hard work. It is focused. It is people being respectful to each other in the vineyard because there's, you know, as, as philosophical and whatnot, you can call it vibes, you can call it karma, whatever... If you got some bad mojo running that year and your like employees your are plants. pissed off, your vineyard's not just gonna, you're just not going to do well. So there's like a bigger, broader picture to it. And we can't always be happy go lucky. Oh, Christ. You got to get deep You're, in you're getting life. me into let your employees go surfing, Michael. I'm telling you, <laughs> if you let your employees let go surfing. Let them go surfing. It's true. All right. Well, let's let's stay on the vineyard because we talked a little bit yeah. about the vines and VSP. And, but so so that the, so that, that basically that training system here uh, is from from the start of the spring, which is late February, early March, until <clears throat> almost September, late August. We are either growing or sorry, we're, we're growing grapes, but we're either. Talking. We're working in the vines. I mean, from it, it, tell, late them, February. Tell, them the, tell them the process. It, I'll it, tell you the process really talking quick. Talking. Yeah, and, I mean, without getting into all, we're working the vines from late February, early March, all the way through October, or August. Um, and that's just the hill country harvest. And so uh, a week to two weeks later, we have fruit coming in from the high plains, which is the Lubbock region. Um, and it's fun, it's a beautiful thing. And, well, let's talk about you know, this a little bit um, because it's not just, you know, working the vines. There's other things based on weather that you have to do to oh, kind yeah. of protect the vines. So, so there's hail. About canopies. Yeah. Birds. Birds, deer. So we uh, have netting. Heat, that, yeah, we have know, netting that, you, that we put up, uh, and it's a two-for-one kind of deal. It's birds uh, and birds hail. And hail really. keeps out, and it's an important thing. We're really smart. We get two-for-one. A lot of people just think it's birds. <laughs> yeah. Two for one. Yeah. But hail, hail. I mean, bad. once in a while, yeah. but how often do you actually see hail? Here? All the I mean, time. We see hail really here all the time. Look, we saw hail night, here two nights ago. Yeah. Uh, not five miles north of here, they had golf ball to tennis size hail. I did not realize in this yeah. region two years got that ag- much hail. Yeah, two years ago, uh, very good friends of ours at Narrow Path uh, were one, basically one and a half miles as the crow flies between the vineyards. They were decimated, 70% loss, and we flew through with no hail. So is there a, a season, or is it just hit or miss? You've yeah, gonna, spring is, is, spring is the okay, worst. I figured it kind of was. It's the cold fronts and the heat from the Gulf, sure. and you get big hail, and that's the biggest. One of the reasons that we are we want to be 80% a state possibly in the next two to five years is because if you say you're going to be 100% a state, then you're going to have years where you lose. And we don't want to lose. We can't afford to lose. We have to, sure. he- we have to hedge that. So we're always going to try to buy grapes. And there's grapes that we don't want to grow or we can- we're not going to grow. That or you don't- need to blend with something else. That sure. Well, but sure. there's like Viognier. We, we, we can buy Viognier from the high plains that is beautiful. And so there's not a reason for us to grow it here. Um, but there's a lot of grapes that we can only that we only grow here, or that nobody else grows. Sure. And so we yeah. actually grow a grape that only one other person grows, and that's uh, uh, Doug Lewis over at Lewis Wines, and that's a Rinto. This is a grape, and uh, shout out to Doug Lewis for choosing that variety. Um, I found that out after we or Andy did too. After we put the the 
vines in the ground. We thought we were brilliant. We found out <laughs> well, five, not even five miles away they'd planted six acres. How of long it. he no, had? Like he, years, he has years, two years, no, two or th- two or three years yeah, before us. He has two acres of it, and uh, um, he's done real well with it. So you know. Anyway, hey, the thing that, the thing to look at it is this: it's like. Texas probably isn't the best place to grow grapes in the world. It's actually one of the worst. Yeah, we can get away with it. And we have good seasons and we have bad seasons. Those bad seasons, we learn to make really good wine. And there's nothing foo-foo about it. There's nothing romantic about it. It's an agricultural process. There's nothing mystical about it. It's I'm going to question So here's the thing, though. It's a little bit mystical. Come on. It's a little bit mystical. The winemaking process. Not the growing the grapes. That's The growing science. the grapes is science. And it's the agriculture. Making, and it's hard work. And Michael and I have gotten arguments about this before because he's heard me say... Hey, it's 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 you know grapes will grow anywhere and the rest is magic. I don't mean it like that. Grapes don't grow anywhere. Grape vines can grow anywhere. Sure, but grapes. Grapes. Don't. You gotta. You have to have everything perfect to make those grapes come in. Yeah. If it's not perfect or if it's not close to perfect, then you get nothing or you get something some shitty sub, quality grapes. Yeah, some shitty quality grapes. Winemaking, there's a bit of magic in that. I don't care what he says from this point forward. I'll argue with him, but there's a bit of magic. There's a little bit of luck. He can know exactly what you're doing, but in the end, there's a little bit of that fairy dust, and he'll argue with me and say bullshit, but it really is. because Just learn how to keep your hands off of it. Keep your fingers out of the dough. Exactly correct. Keep your fingers out of the cake or whatever. Exactly correct. Now, Michael says that every year. He's like, look, I don't think we should do any more. I think we've done it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you made the general statement that you can't, you know, typically good grapes don't grow in Texas or, or shouldn't. You know, you might get them to. Wild grapes are actually <laughs> native. Mustang. But, you know, so, Texas. Thank you, Mr. Big, Brunson. There you go. Munson. Damn. Munson. Big state, Texas. And when you start going West Texas to the High Plains and yeah. those, you know, you get that big variation in heat during the day. And yeah. the Elevation. Night. Elevation, effect. all of that. So do you kind of slice up the state a little bit and go, you know, is it variety-based? Variety okay, I'm going to lay it down real simple. Give so in me. the hill country. Yeah. Tough okay. to grow grapes. Here it is, here it is. It's tough oh. to grow grapes in the hill country. Humidity. You be- yeah, humidity. You have this beautiful terroir, though. Everything so that can go wrong. Beautiful yeah. soils. Okay, you have beautiful soils in the hill country. You have a beautiful, uh, yeah, great weather. I mean, you have some some monsoonal things going on with pretty with girls. The Gulf, I was about to say women, that, humidity, <laughs> and all that. But the hill country would be perfect if, if it, it would just chill out at night. If the yeah. temperature would go down at Drop. night, Below this 90. would be a just beautiful yeah. world sixty or fifty wine. or something. Yes. Yeah, we have limestone. We have. Uh, schist in in the dirt. Uh, we have these beautiful, beautiful soil layers that are perfect for growing grapes in, this, in the state. But we don't have those cool nights. Now, sometimes you do. That's why I think the Hill Country would be a, is it is it an amazing place to grow rosé or make rosé wine, and it's a beautiful place to grow white grapes. Um, I want to grow more white grapes, and we make a lot of rosé already. The red wines. It's I difficult. Still, it, it, there, I still think that we have a long way to go, but I think that the High Plains has its own little set of uh, varieties. Vari- you know, has its own little unique uh, difficulties, 
uh, where they microclimates over there, where they, where the, their advantages are, they have the diurnal cool nights. They don't have as many pests. They don't have as many, uh, rainfalls and humidity that mess them up. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive into, uh, wines that are available for the listeners right now. If they're going to come in, well, no, no, let me back up before we go there. Let's, let's talk about where we're recording. I mean, you guys have, have built a great, I don't even want to call it a facility. How, how would you describe this room, this building, this tasting room? I mean, it's just fantastic. The architecture, the design. Don't tell of... anyone that this is Cyprus. We could go to jail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a joke. <laughs> uh, this it's is not, all it's not Cyprus design. from Who's New Orleans. Was this? Andy, Andy designed this. Andy designed, designed this. Andy okay. So what's the influence here? What, what, uh, it's really unique when you, when you start talking about colors and uh, layout and things like that it's uh, you don't see a lot like this well i'm a uh, uh, i've always wanted to b- build something modern and uh i've always wanted to build something with a sca- scandinavian feel to it and part of it and uh, so this building allowed me to to scratch that itch and chase those and uh, i have to say like all of the woodwork in here was done by a good friend of ours uh, andy zinn who uh, listened to what I said and then took it to a whole nother level. And uh, his son helps. His, son, his son, Zach, was the blonde-haired, long-haired kid you saw in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you first arrived, probably yes. helped you outside. Yeah. And so, so he's helped out in the last two harvests, so he's helped make wine. Well, the, and I, I just told him and that you're pork, working one yeah. day a week, two days a week in the, in the uh, tasting room and four days a week in the vineyard, and he was like, Okay, but yeah. can I sometimes work three days a week in the tasting room and three days a week in the vineyard? Because it's, Rob, it's, it's, it's uh, air-conditioned during the summer. Oh, yeah. So he was, like, big difference. he was like, this is the shit. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know crap about wine. I'm 18, but it's air-conditioned. So yeah. future employees, get ready to get that slave drive on. We're going to whip you. You got to do this shit right. Uh, we're never going to hire more people, I guess. But not after that. So the building was a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, there were so many things in here that happened by chance that we didn't even expect that just came out to, to make the place a better feel, a better room, and uh, uh, none of this Don't stuff. hire an architect or design person. Sorry, <laughs> architects and design people. Hey, we feel the same way. Yeah, you don't. So, need you don't know what we do for uh, a real job. That's all right. You don't way. need a middleman. Yeah, we feel the same way. But so anyway, but that costs sometimes. It costs extra money because it's all on a fucking napkin. And in, in are, my opinion, they're trying to build. They're trying to design something that looks good in their portfolio. They could give a shit it, about it, what it, you want. And this mean, place would not look good. Bit, this place would not look good on paper. Yeah. Because like, how would you know where the views are? Right. Paper. How would you know where the sun sets on paper? Sure. But that drives people crazy. Like, hey, we're going to put windows here. They're like, what? What are you? What are you talking about? That's a trapezoid. And I'm like, it's a fucking trapezoid. The whole building's a trapezoid. Yeah. We're going to put windows here. That doesn't make sense, Andy. It doesn't have to make sense. We're just going to build it's where we want the window. Exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, and the same with the colors. I remember uh, with this wall over here got built first, and uh, as far as the paneling. And uh, I'm explaining this over the radio on, on the podcast, but it's a ham radio. <laughs> CQ, CQ, W9NUQ. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to give a WKRP in Cincinnati reference. Oh, uh, that, that, that was a call out to our father. So. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, the silver uh, paneling and then the red and then the whatever that is, bronze. My dad calls me one day and he says, hey, hey Andy, they've, they've kind of uh, put that wall up. Uh, 
I'm going to send you some pictures. Are you uh, sure you like this? I looked at it and I said, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. He's like, well, wait, wait, wait. Are you sure that's what you like? I said, dad, I don't know. I drew it up. He's like, well, they're going to build it all of it. I said, dad, I don't give a shit. Let's just go with it. And he was like, oh, God. About five days later, he's like, you know, that looks all right. <laughs> you didn't say it looked good, but from dad, that right. was, that was a, that's a compliment. Kind of 80s-y. So for your dad, that <laughs> looks like all right. It's fucking amazing, son. No, you know, my, our father is an uh, engineer, and an engineer to the nth degree, you can't, you can't define engineer more than my father. And for him, anything that doesn't include plans and doesn't include planning, because lots of our stuff doesn't include planning, is just foreign to him. So yeah. uh, the, enti- the process of building something without plans is something that was, was outside of his wheelhouse, but he's learned to adapt, and uh, he's, he's done well with it. And his biggest comments are, uh, I don't know, but okay. So... <laughs> Well, I, I think you've done great. I think it's a great look in here. It, it's uh, it's comforting. You, you come in, you feel comfortable, and it's inviting. You know, you want to come in and sit and stay a little while. So Michael and I talked early on. We put our webpage up, by the way, like in 2017. Here's what, we, here's what I think, and I believe Michael's on board. You can have world-class wines, but if you give a shitty place to stay and shitty place to drink that wine – people will leave and say, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. And you can have a great place and mediocre wine, and people will say, that's a great place, but it's mediocre. And we make some badass mediocre wine, so get over here. <laughs> 1,000 South Ranch Road, 1623, from 4 to 6, ladies' night, Wednesday. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> I just had to say that because that's what Andy reminds me of. But you could have mediocre wine in a great place. Well, I didn't get you didn't like always. You never let me finish the that's fucking sentence. That's why I'm the little brother. It's almost exactly like you're married. Correct. It is almost like we're married. In fact, yeah. mar- ten years of marriage counseling has helped me greatly. There you go. So, what I was going to say <laughs> to finish that was, wait, what are we talking about? No, I'm kidding. Uh, look, in the end. It's, it's, I actually did forget. You want both experiences. Four to six, Wednesday night. Late night. You want great wine and a great place to experience it. I think the two have to go together. And if they don't go together, then you've missed something. And there's a lot of places that have wonderful wine. And so I think that wonderful wine and a great place to experience it. The experience is as much as the setting and the wine makes that and Wine is the time machine, and I think it's because of the setting you're in. Ten years from now, um, I hope that you remember not only the yeah. wine and the bourbon that we're drinking right Absolutely. now, copious amounts of bourbon, and uh, that you, you're you taken back. If there's a flavor or a scent or a smell or a taste on that palate that you have, you say, oh, that reminds me of that stupid fucking night I was talking to Michael and Andy Bilger you at Degavino. So... It's like hospitality is a fleeting he thing. Ser- service is fleeting. Like that's a that's a dying. Like most people don't know what service is until they're taught, and that's why they go get a pendulum or whatever and tell people that they're really good at service because they pass a test. That's stupid. Service is just being nice to people, knowing about what you're 
knowing a little bit about what you're pouring and and creating uh, creating creating a space a for space them to, for them to you know it's called hus- hospitality hospitality uh, is what it's called you want to spit it's that called hospitality and it's just catering to and I think some of the biggest compliments keep it simple stupid keep yeah. it simple some of the biggest compliments we've received here is you know what the wine was excellent and I love this place and the server. He didn't tell me what I was supposed to taste. She didn't tell me what I was supposed to taste. She just said, that's great. This is what I taste, or this is what I experience. And that's what we want. We want a, we want a place where you can come in and drink wine. It's not a highbrow environment. We're not going to hold you. if Pinkies you say, aren't up. No. If you, well, you know, some of ours are. <laughs> but if you say Tempranillo, we're not going to correct you. Okay, fair if enough. You, yeah, if you say Because I actually like to hear people say that, to be honest with it's you. It's a Texas twang. You know, it's a Texas is. twang, yeah. and it's nice yeah. because it, you, people are excited about drinking Tempranillo. Yeah, so Tempranillo. You're gonna, and he's going to go, that's what I said, Tempranillo. Yeah. And who cares? Yeah. Right? I mean, uh-huh. like, you like it or you don't like it. That's actually the most, that, that's the thing that makes the most sense oh. to me. Like, I liked it. Okay, great. I didn't like it. Why? I'd, I'd like to know. I mean, I mean, I don't always ask if yeah. somebody doesn't like something, but, you know, the biggest thing is you, you enjoyed it. And that's hey, you're, what you're we're shooting gonna, for here. Well, let me get another glass of that Myrtle Little. Myrtle Little. <laughs> let me get some of that Myrtle Little. And some of that Wagner. What? Yeah, he was a great composer. What? No, no, Viognier. Oh, absolutely. You can, can but, you know, effort. people, palettes are different, and that's what makes the world go around. You don't, you're not going to like everything. Yeah. You're going to find and things you like and some things you don't, and th- there's nothing wrong with Look, that. when we started, I thought, look, if people like one or two of the eight or six or whatever wines we're serving on our tasting menu, then we've hit a home run. Yeah. If somebody likes one of them, we've done great. You know, Here's the business plan. One out of ten are going to be excellent. <laughs> The other nine are going to suck. But hey, I'm hey, telling you, Wednesday night is ladies' night, four to six. But I'm, uh, to your point on the, the business plan, it's on the website, and I saw that. One out of yeah. ten will be great. That's exactly what it says. But to your point, <laughs> uh, mentioning business plan, I do think that's important. On a leap year. On a leap year. <laughs> on a leap year. Don't forget the leap year. You guys put that out, uh, that you, you're very transparent about what you're trying to do here and what you're trying to accomplish. 2017, I'm a firm believer in it. and You know, it's a discussion that we – that takes place here all the time, but <clears throat> I want people to remind us if we veer from that plan. I want people to tell us, "Hey, look, I saw your wine at HEB. You you lied on your webpage." I want people to say, "Hey, you're doing exactly what you said." I want I want to know that that transparency is important to us. Um, and there's a lot of bullshit in business, and there's a lot of bullshit in wine, and uh, we're trying to cut out as much of that bullshit as we sure. as we can. And uh, when we're wrong, I want to know about it. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. So, but back to you. Go ahead. What do we got for a singles night? <laughs> Wednesdays have no, just no, extended no, no. Wednesdays into Thursdays. Is ladies' night. When do we have singles night? Saturday, five o'clock. Saturday, five o'clock. Dagavino Nacho Bar for all the singles. <laughs> okay, and swingers. Bring your sauces. Swingers Bring across your... the street at the other winery. <laughs> All right. Get out of here, swingers. You guys just joking. Come in and drink some wine. We got to get him off the bourbon. Right. Yeah. Hey, hey, this was the guy that. It's more we, funny. Yeah, he well, said. Hold on, hold on. This is the guy when we were in break that said, hey, no, seriously. Hey, quit horsing around. Andy, when we come back on. Andy, shut let's the fuck be a up. Let's serious yeah, about exactly this. Right, yeah, right. so just so it's getting called out on the podcast. Please call me out on this. Rob, I knew I loved you. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but no, you have a great facility, great space inside, but you also got a great space outside. Um, do you guys do anything, you know, during certain times of the year? We have a barbecue or a food truck. So we do, we do have music. awesome wine club pickups. And we really like take the extra mile to make sure that we have some really good food. Like this upcoming wine club pickup, we have Barton Barbecue. He's a good friend of our JB, out of the Driftwood. Uh, he's coming out. He's doing some beer, uh, street tacos. He's nice. doing a stuffed quail, a stuffed quail, oh, wow. and some really some amazing uh, pork, pork chop chops. with a smoked apple chutney. Yes. So that's not just a pickup. So, that's a come hang out. That's you know, come hang out. You take your wine. We close to we, four. We close for the day. Okay, yeah, sweet. We close to customers, and it's just wine club members. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Noon to four, we're and, gonna have a good time, and, eat good food. And let me uh, let me say this. You know. Uh, our goal is not to have 50,000 wine club members. Our goal is to have less than 1,000 wine club members because we want to know the wine club members. We want to have a relationship with as many as we can. That's not always possible. Um, but our goal is not to expand our business by having 22,000 wine club members in 10 years. Everyone's got a calculator. It's easy to do some math. Sure. And so you could do math all day, but you have to have fun going to work and you have to enjoy what you're doing. And the only way that we can truly keep our thumb on everything is doing smaller production, lower lower but yields, and that's really the way Rob, to do it. I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. What what makes you do what you want do this? What makes you want to do this and talk to people? Well, because I've I've looked at your catalog. Yeah. And you've you've uh, interviewed and talked to a wide variety of people who are. I'm just Michael. I'm don't don't punch me, but they're far fucking smarter no, than we are. Smarter than me. Yeah. So so yeah, what, what brings you here? What brings you to do this as your well, as your advocation? Because I know it's not your vocation. Two things, and one is the most important. And then let me highlight that one. Then we'll get to the second one. Um, Wednesday night, ladies' night. <laughs> you know, so this is six a, to seven. A milestone that I've hit being able to you know get to know you guys so that now I can come on a Wednesday night. So I'm happy about that. No, it's, we it's, actually have dance class on Wednesday night, and it's not pole dancing. Is that, but is we that, do is have that Thursday or dancing. Wednesday? That's Wednesday. Wednesday night, ballroom dancing. What night? Pole dancing. What night? Uh, Second and fourth Wednesday Andy of said, every month. He said that's pole night. He wanted no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know. We're uh, we're uh, <laughs> we're accepting off the rails. we're accepting applications for all positions. People are listening, going, "That is a badass winery." I want to go over there and hang out with those guys. Yeah. No, but back to your question. Um, just like you guys, you know, with wine, you have a passion for it, and it's something that you love to do. And my wife puts up with me. And, oh, I can uh, tell that yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. yeah, God bless absolutely. her. She's going to heaven. Yes, absolutely. Yes, living in hell for all these years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Penance. But, uh, Penance. They, That's what she's doing right thumbs now. Up. Yeah. Um, she knows that I cook for her, and I, I clean as well. But anyway, I love to cook. I'm does a big he really clean? Guy. Oh, he does. No, he does not. Okay. That, that's a lot. Uh, Anyways, let's go on. He cleaned shop with Elijah Craig and the old Weller. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I love food and uh, I love wine, love whiskey. Used to be in, big into craft beers and, and still like a beer every once in a while. Um, but, you know, you get into Facebook, you get into all these groups, and uh, a lot of it was just a point and click, and people would post. And went, I went to this winery, I went to this restaurant, the food was great, look what I ate. And kind of like art, you know, I was saying this earlier, um, you see a piece of art and you go, okay, that's awesome. What was behind that? You know, what was the story to get to 
what you put on the canvas or the sculpture that you made. And let's, I want to know that story. You have a 500 questions that you want to ask. Yeah. So kind of food, wine, whiskey, uh, kind of all fall into that category for me. You know, somebody putting out rocking food at a restaurant. I'm like, okay, who are these people? What's right. the story? How did you get here? What's your passion that got you to doing this in this place? Wine, right. whiskey, you know. And to me, you, you see a lot of groups and places and podcasts that focus on one. But I really believe they all go together. You know, if you go into a restaurant, you're going to be able to have a wine and a cocktail or a whiskey yeah, or whatever. Right. And you can kind of have that conversation about all of these things that go together. So it's just a passion of mine. And I knew I couldn't cook. You know, I like to cook at home. I think I do a fairly decent job cooking. But I knew she, I wasn't going to she's have She's shaking her head yes. Yeah. So I wasn't going to have a restaurant. She said no on cleaning. Yeah. Yes. And so I said, how can I get involved in this community and uh, this was a way I said, you know, I, th I think this cool. is what I want to do. So, Well, that's very cool because, one, you're very good at asking questions. Uh. And two, you're very great at bringing really badass bourbons with well, you. So and, you want to do a follow-up show? And, and I, well, I think that should be kind of a little segue <laughs> into the final part of this. Like, we just drank what? And what does that mean to you? I mean, we, we've been plying you with wine all evening, but that bourbon was freaking spectacular. And so what, what are we moving into next? Okay, so we started off, like we said at the beginning of this segment, with the single barrel from E.H. Taylor, and I'm kind of running you through proof. So that was the first one. This validates to everybody that we're not just chugging bourbon. We're still <laughs> sipping that first one. Um, I've had six glasses. Chug, chug. Um, so the progression from here would be let's go to the Four Roses, which is 104 proof. So we're just going to tick it up a little bit, not too much. That sounds some, like some lightweight that. shit, Rob. So E.H. Taylor is a Buffalo Trace. All of these you won't find on a shelf. You know, you're not going to walk in a, a liquor store, big chain or not, and find these on the shelf. But That has some amazing, like, viscosity to it. It does, huh? It really does. I'm just going to hit that button. Viscosity. I thought you, you wanted this one? That's yes, that's what I, was, I was looking for that. <laughs> Instead, he played the porno music. <laughs> I thought the lights were going to dim. <laughs> Let me tell you about I was, that. I was like, damn, one button off. <laughs> Let me tell you about that's the resistance to water. That's the measurement of it, baby. Yeah. So what you have here is four you know rows. talking about resistance to water. Yeah, viscosity. What's up, everyone here at the science aspects? Yep, yep. No hand raising. <laughs> So he, he's like, I drove all the way here for this. <laughs> By the way, if you want to talk about nerdy wine stuff serious. all day, if you want to talk about nerdy wine, I love talking about that. Yes, we do. So if you want to come out here and come visit us and, and have a, more of a serious conversation. Did you say nerdy or dirty? Both. Well, oh, ner okay. nerdy. but It, it gets can, dirty. It probably does. <laughs> Fingers are in the dirt. That's what she said. No. Wednesday, 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 Wednesday. <laughs> okay, so what you have in your glass now is Wow, a, that's totally different. Yeah, it's going to be totally different. That's Four Roses. So do you know anything about Four Roses? No, nothing. So they have uh, two yeast strains and five mash bills. So they make ten different recipes. And if you get a single barrel at the store, it's always OBSV. But what bourbon connoisseurs like to do is find... When a group or a store goes to Four Roses out in Kentucky and picks a single barrel just for them, you don't get to know what recipe you're getting. You taste through six or eight barrels, 
And when you pick the one you like, then they'll reveal to you this is a OBSO or an OESO or an OESK or whatever the recipe is. Mm -hmm. And uh, once you've picked that barrel, they'll barrel it and send it back to you. So this one is a blend of Brent's, he's the head distiller there, six recipes he picked out to blend into this bourbon. And it's a limited edition uh, yearly release. This one's from 2019. So, Rob, I want to pick your brain on this. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to tell you what I'm tasting on my tongue, but there's a lot of like a mid palate fire. So I w- I'd like to hear what you think. Spiciness. Uh, spiciness. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, like to hear okay. what, I'd like to hear what your taste profile is of this. Because so when you say fire, are you, or is it the, the ethanol? The, the, the ethanol, alcohol? yes. Okay, so it's your palate still, you, you probably don't drink a lot, a lot of bourbon. I don't. So. Uh, I, I was introduced to scotch on a trip to Scotland. That was the first time I'd ever been able to choke it down. And by the end of a 10-day trip, I choke was like. Choke it down. Uh, it, That's the, what she said. <laughs> At the end of it, I was like, "Just stop talking, Eddie." I appreciate it, like I really did at the. Yeah. End. But by the tenth day, I was like, "Okay, I like see where this fits into my drinking profile." Sure, pints, lots of pints, and then a nice scotch at the end, and, and, and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Scotches are typically, uh, you know, eighty to I push ninety proof so we're unless at, you get something cast strength. One twenty. This is one hundred four. Oh, okay. So I'm kind of keep you there. there. There's bourbons that can you know to to be classified as a bourbon, you have to be at least eighty proof. Okay. Um, not very many. You know, it's like anything else. When you, when you make bourbon, you have a barrel entry uh, proof that you put it in barrel, and it changes from distiller to distiller. Usually at one hundred and twenty five proof is well, not usually. That's the max. Um, a lot of places will do that. That's Everclear after that? Well, it's Everclear before, it's moonshine before it goes in. Yeah, we call it white dog. God love this. This so, is the best thing I've ever experienced in my life. So if you think about it this way, uh, it, it'll go in the barrel, say, anywhere between 110 and 125. And, you know, it's going to sit in a warehouse. It's going to be there for no less than two years, but it could be up brown, to 12. The sweet spot for bourbon right now, a lot of us think, is that six to nine-year range. You really get some good stuff. There is that perception that older means better. You know, if you get a 15-year-old bourbon, that's got to be great. It's usually pretty good, but it doesn't mean it's it's great. To get, right. You know, but, you know, when you have that angel share, you guys know the angel share. Yeah. Uh, it's going to evaporate and go away. So you're left with whatever it is. Say it comes out of the barrel and it's and it's proofing at one thirty-eight. Two liters a month per yeah, barrel. There you yeah. go. I always thought Michael was taking the heavens. It. Yeah, I thought he was taking it home and drinking it. And I was <laughs> like, "Come on, Michael, what the hell?" He's like, "Dude, it's the angel share." So if you have a bourbon come out of the barrel and it's say it's uh you know just say one twenty-five, it went in at one fourteen and it came out at one twenty-five, and now you're gonna proof it down to eighty. Well, to proof it down, all you're doing is putting in some limestone water. And so you're losing all that flavor. Well, a lot of us think you're losing all that flavor. It's diluted. Right. Um, so you don't see a lot of bourbon people drink 80 proof. Now, it gets back to weather, right, because of the barrels and, and the heat here in the States. When you get to Scotland, it's so cold and damp and wet that they don't have the same evaporation yeah. that we have here. Peat moss. So, yeah, you got the peat. So you can have... That's, you don't have to proof it back down. Their barrel entry might be different, different kind of steel, pot steel. And uh, so the flavor can hold up a little bit better at a lower proof. I brought you a little bit higher proof things just to kind of, 
you said you kind of drank bourbon, so I thought if I was in that 100-proof kind of range, we might be all right. I did bring one bad boy, the E.H. Taylor Barrel Proof, that might make the hair really grow on your chest. But uh, I don't know if I can take any more hair on my chest. And then I brought this e, uh, Elijah Craig Batch 12 Old Pirates label that is 136 proof. You know, all I have to say is hell yeah. Let's so, let's let's drink our you know, way. You're not a man unless you do. Yeah, yeah. You've already challenge you, accepted. You've thrown the card down. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about the bourbon. Well, so. very cool. So what so what got you into bourbon? Wine. 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 And Big so, wine guy. My wife got me into wine, and then uh, boy, I feel like the tables have turned here. Well, I just <laughs> I, I, you know it's kind of interesting to us. I just I'd, I'd like to know from your standpoint. You, in wine and now you're in bourbon yeah so, so I, I used to you know i had some buddies that were wine people too but we do they would got me into kind of uh whiskey mm-hmm. and i say whiskey because it was crown royal yep and it was a mixer you know so we Be- might cook a beautiful blend from a Canada. beautiful blend you know black label <laughs> was my jam right yeah, there um but we would uh you know always have a little crown and coke and i used to be that guy where you know i would pour this much coke and put a little splash of crown. Yep. And as I got used to it, it was like, you know, this much crown and just a little splash of Coke. The Coke was just color. Yeah, you know, <laughs> make, make you think I'm not drinking too heavy. Yeah. Um, but then it evolved into, you know, finding out about some bourbon groups on Facebook or somebody mentioning it to me and starting to do some research. And I started looking into drinking them neat and, and just exploring a little bit and nosing and understanding the process mm-hmm. of how they make it. You know, it's not from the terroir as much. It's more yeah. from the barrel. Right. Uh, and then your recipe as you distill. But uh, once you get past that, how you enjoy the drink on the nose, in the right type of glass, things like that. Very the different the profile. Very much the same. Yeah. So the, the transition from wine to the bourbon just kind of made sense. And I enjoyed both for different reasons. Still do. So when you come home from work at night, what is your, what's your go-to on a Wednesday? Be you had a hard time at the office. Is is wine paired with your enjoyable moments, or is it a is it a bourbon? No, I'm, I love wine with food. So my rule is, and my wife can tell you, uh, you know, spend time. I like to cook. So my routine is. When I'm cooking, whether it's outside oh, on yeah. the grill or inside in the kitchen prepping and doing stuff, Glass I'm drinking some bourbon. Yeah. Oh, bourbon. I'm wow. drinking some bourbon, just prepping and getting ready. But once we're ready to sit down and eat and we're going to ne- spend the next you know, two hours having food and conversation, now we're popping bottles of wine. Nice. And that's kind of our routine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to switch out, Michael, beer for bourbon while we're cooking barbecue. Sweetie, that means we might eat at 2.30 in the morning instead of 9 <laughs> o'clock or 10. She's giving me the hell no. You know, I used to be a huge beer guy, and you can tell I'm fat. So, uh, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> um, But it's so heavy now, you know. Yeah. I still like a beer. I'll get done mowing the yard, or it's just a hot yeah. day, and I'll sit Nothing out Nothing better than American Lager, man. man. Uh, or a Pills. Or I'm an IPA. A, are you, when you say American, tell me what you're, saying, what you're meaning by that. American lager. American lager. Craft just, American? Well, you can yeah. be a craft American. Oh, yeah. just, hey. just something on the lighter palate, you know. Just yeah. like I'll go over to a French house. Thing. He goes, you want a Coors Light? I go, I got a bottle of water. Thank you. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we have, a, we have um, a really good friend who Michael's known since he's like seven years old. And uh, he worked for a brewery, whatever. But he, he about likes five, lighter beer. About five People years are going, ago. I thought this show was about wine. 
Yeah, but you know that's the thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, Let's yeah. Go. Well, I told you, like, yeah. I'm sitting at a restaurant in Fredericksburg, and people come up to me. They're like, "I can't believe you're drinking a beer." Yeah, and I'm like, "What the fuck? I love beer. In fact, <laughs> exactly. wine is made by drinking fucking beer." That's exactly uh, right. Hey, really quick though, if you Same if you were th- hey this this Tempranillo right here, <laughs> I just want to talk about this because we grew this Tempranillo. It's 86 percent Tempranillo, 14 percent Trigo National. Both Which of those vintage? bonds. Uh, it's 19. a 2019 okay. estate Tempranillo. It's not really released, but we're pouring it. It's not it released. We're pouring it and we're selling it, but it's not released. It's not on our tasting menu. We're probably going to pull it off because we have some other Tempranillos to put out. And uh, uh, this wine needs to open up. It needs some extra time in the cellar. That's why we're going to pull it back and, and put it away for another year. But, you know, one of the beautiful things about being an alcoholic and switching back from Bourbon. Bourbon to wine. I was seeing how you're going to. I was seeing how you're going to uh, cut this. See this segue tie it together. Yes, so the segue is okay. Go with bourbon it, has honestly opened up my palate to be more than it has been in the last 20, 30 minutes. Well, shit, we're gonna have to, I'm going to have to try this out then. And there's a lot of mysterious black fruit on that wine that wasn't there earlier because it was tight grained. It needed some time to open up. So, and so that's why I want I. And Michael, you make oh, a great. Mr. You steered. You steered. I was going to say you make a great point because I have a, a a big bourbon buddy up in the New York, New Jersey area. He's done some shows with us on our other podcast, Bourbon Rye Not, mm-hmm. and uh, he's into wine too. And he says the if he's going to do a, a bourbon blind or if he's going to have some nice pours that night, he always starts with a wow a wine. Yeah. And he says just that contrast from that to kind of get the palate going, to warm it up a little bit, and then go to bourbon. He says it's just – and so I've actually taken his advice on that, and it's – I never like to give my brother credit, but sometimes he's really right. Well – I think it's right. You're pretty much right sometimes. Oh, whatever. But go ahead. We need to pour you a glass of this. Where's your your glass at? I was going to say that the cool part to me is your wife took it. You take my wine? I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the headphones off and get you a uh, glass. So we're drinking right now on the wine uh, portion of the show. So let, let's go through real quick and yes. let everybody listening the tasting room now and for the next I don't know how far out you can go a month two months. Mm-hmm. What's going to be in the tasting room when they come in? Things they can look forward to and is that mine? Things they can look forward to and know. Uh, going to be available to them to try so we're about to change up our tasting menu for a little bit so we've been on the same talk, talk about what we have and then yeah, talk about yeah. what's coming up okay so what's on the menu right now uh we have our 2019 viognier which is a high plains viognier which is one third barrel fermented two thirds tank fermented and stainless steel tank people don't, don't know that's a white wine it's a white wine viognier is very similar to chardonnay and the fact that it in it's, France, it grows next to it. Here it's in an Texas, underappreciated wine. Yeah, yes, and it's, it's a beautiful. It, it's a blend in Champagne, and it's also the most. Go ahead. Uh, oh no, go ahead, <laughs> brotherly love. <laughs> go ahead. I was just gonna say it's the Chardonnay of Texas. It's it's the most ubiquitous white grape grown in te- Texas, other than Blanc du Bois, and uh, everybody out here has a, a a version of Viognier. Now, Michael, go ahead. Viognier does well in Texas, and so we're always going to be producing a Viognier. Now, last year we didn't produce a Viognier because we couldn't get a hold of me in the fruit. And so this year, uh, but instead we made Chardonnay from Texas. Which is, which, 
This is a great Chardonnay. By the way, I'm like one of the biggest Chardonnay snobs. And when you came into uh, the winery their first two or three months when we opened, and somebody said, do you have a Chardonnay or a Cabernet Sauvignon? I'd say, hey, look, you know, if you want that, you got to go somewhere else. We don't produce those two wines because you can't produce a very good one, which is bullshit because I, I had one of our very good friends, Ron Yates and Todd Crowell over at Ron Yates Winery produced a double gold Cabernet Sauvignon. You can only do that out of Texas every five to six years. Oh, really? And it beat everybody that you would think it would beat. And Chardonnay. It's one of those things that we never thought we would get good grapes. We never thought we'd be able to make a good Chardonnay. And Michael called me one day traveling through a uh, vineyard that we know and said, hey, look, Andy, I think there's some pretty good Chardonnay grapes here. They're 25-year-old vines. The clusters look good. And, you know, like six weeks from now, I think we'll know whether they're great or not. Should we go ahead and try to grab them? And I said, Michael, use your best judgment. So he said, I'm going to grab them. Okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, we've made some white wine. It's not going to be Chardonnay because there's no fucking way in the world that we're going to call it Chardonnay unless it tastes like Chardonnay and it smells like Chardonnay. If it's not Chardonnay, we're not doing it. Fast forward seven months. That's good. It looks like Chardonnay. It doesn't doesn't look like Chardonnay. It has the nose of Chardonnay immediately. Right yeah. off the bat, there's it's no doubt, and uh, the we made a buttery, Michael made a buttery, oaky Chardonnay, and it's fucking beautiful. Oh. And, and how would it? It's hold? not. It's not just me. There's a lot of people that think yeah. that Salmiers included from the barrel. All right, all right. You, hey, edit this part know. out. And let's just, you know, hey, we we'll gotta get do it in a bottle and we'll we'll you talk about it when Rob, it's in the bottle. Rob, you know Rob, I'm going big on this. All right, look. I think it's. I think it's. It's. Very, very good Chardonnay. You know which one I was Don't missing? butter my biscuits unless it's next to bacon and eggs, all right? Very good Chardonnay. We don't, we don't, we We're don't. making three tons of that this year. So I'm still we visualizing the buttered biscuit. The buttery biscuits and next no, you to bacon and you, eggs. You really don't want to... You don't want to visualize that. So we made one ton of that Chardonnay this year, and we're going to make three tons, hopefully, if God willing, and so Mother Nature does her thing we, right. We stored it in a punching, so... But look, everyone's good at tying their shoes, okay? But who's who's better at double knotting, right? Okay, so we what got the, a little wait, technique. Wait, 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 what the fuck does that mean? Just want to let everybody know. Right. We're on the second line when, in the tasting room. When you're really good at tying your shoes, that's one thing. But when you're good at double knotting, that's another. And that's why I look at wine. It's like you should. Are, you, you are we one, double yeah. knotting or are we double tying? We double tying, right? Okay. okay. I don't want to knot my uh, shoes. Yeah. Crazy motherfucker. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so we've got a Chardonnay that's in the tasting room now. Chard- so back to back two to, months, back, in, yeah, two months it'll be in two months room. it'll be in. Yeah. okay. So right now, if you come to the tasting room, we're gonna have a 2019 Viognier that we just released. We're also gonna have our 2019 Alvarino, which okay. is uh, very similar to Vino Verde, just a little bit longer time in tank. And people who haven't had that uh, particular just, uh, varietal, Spanish varietal, white wine. It's just a, yeah, it's a white wine. That, Iberian Peninsula. Yeah, it's a it's it's, that a, covers it's a white wine. It's, it's yeah. a little bit of a spicier white wine. If you want to think of a little bit of tannin integration, it's also one third barrel fermented. Um, excuse me, uh, rosés. 
We got a we got a bunch of really good rosés coming up. We yeah, have we a, have a we have an estate rosé coming up that's ninety percent Sangiovese and ten percent Orinto. Orinto is the native grape species to the Iberian Peninsula that, as of right now, only Doug Lewis calls it. So. <laughs> and you and the TTB told us we cannot call it Orinto. So, so we have estate rosé. We have this fabulous white grape from Portugal. It's a Provence rosé. Can you so, not put it anywhere on the label? Or just can't put it on the front. You, of the you label? can't put it on the front of the label. Okay, that's what I thought. You can so, put it on the romance yeah, side. Yeah. It's whole cluster. Can you uh, put a big arrow that says, look here? <laughs> you could. That would be cool. I'd yeah. like that. I wish I would have thought about that two weeks ago, go. Rob. Yeah. Trademark. Get me in on Trademark. some of these. Yeah. Trademark that. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a very limited release as we only have about 20 cases of it left because we drank the other four. <laughs> was a single that barrel. was all in research yeah. just to make so sure. So that's, that's a yeah. problem for us. Like Michael calls up, hey. Andy, this is the most banging rosé we've ever made. It's made out of a And I drink like a bottle a day. So, so I come over, and then like two weeks later, he's like, dude, there's only 20 cases left. <laughs> we only made a barrel. What the hell? But we do have uh, we do have a lot of uh, rosé. We also have another beautiful rosé from the Hill Country. It's Does a, he always cut you off It's like a Syrah yeah, and yeah. Merlot. That's, that's the little brother thing. Is it? It's a Syrah that's and Merlot. You know what that makes him, right? You're the worst fucking do, player do. <laughs> I'm like the bitch goalie who I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Put him in. Defense, baby. Defense. It's all about that D. Defense. Oh, that could be It's bad. all about the D. <laughs> That's what she said. It's all about the defense. Kick the door open on that one. Ooh. As the little dude crying walks out the door. All right, anyway. Next wine in the tasting room. So, so we got we got rosé. So you have the Syrah and the Merlot from the Please. Hill Country. That's Texas Hill Country. We bought a uh, Texas Hills is what I was Texas trying to Hills. say. It's a vineyard very close to here in Johnson City. Beautiful, beautiful Syrah, beautiful Merlot, and that's a fifty-fifty uh, direct press co-fermentation, um, like thirteen percent alcohol, Provence uh, style. So it was. Whole cluster, hand-picked, direct press, barrel-fermented, ML in the bottle, full ML. So it's got some buttery notes, but it's not, you know. A bit surly. Surly. It's been, Explain it's surly. Been surly is just cellared on the fine lees. So it's the bits and particles of the grape, the uh, dead yeast cells that have that are now hulls, I guess. They're floating around. A little bit of batonage. <clears throat> so batonage is a fancy way of, of saying stirring. In French? French, yes. Just you stirring. do like those French words. Oh, I do. Terroir. 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 Batonage. Elevage. Menage de toi? No, that's a shitty wine at H-E-B for eight ninety nine. Oh, very good. Very good. And so, I was uh, going to say cold du sac. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good... Hey. I, 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 I knew I liked this guy yeah, the yeah. first time I met him. That's hilarious. That is from Suburbia. Right? <laughs> um, so... Uh, then we also have a, a one that so we at first I wanted to call S M Rose and I thought Actually eh. he said actually he said Andy S and M uh Syrah Merlot and I was like ah might not fly Yeah well they didn't like S M either so it's just rose now. So uh then the other one was uh Tempranillo Syrah Merlot. So T S M, which was supposed to be a play on words is like GSM, that too. Yeah. right? Yeah. But you know, that, that wasn't that cool. Actually that one worked. Oh, did it work? Yeah. Okay. Well, government level one through finally. Well, okay. 
So we have a Tempranillo, which is 60%, a Syrah, which is 20%, a Merlot. That's going to come out later. It needs a little bit more barrel, okay. uh, cellar time. And then we have a uh, a uh, Sunyade Tempranillo Estate Rosé, which okay. is just a big, fat, thick, thick rosé. Really? Rosé that has a lot of tannins. So Sunyade means that we bled off the juice. the juice from a crushed grape already. And so uh, when I say direct press on those Provence-style rosés, the rest we're taking the whole cluster, putting it in the press, and just directly pressing it. So it doesn't have, the juice doesn't touch the skin or doesn't touch the seeds a lot. With a Saunier uh, rosé, we've already crushed the grapes. The juice has been sitting in its skins and seeds its skins and crushed and seeds. seeds and crushed so it's a darker pink? Yes, yeah, it's and more on the and redder side. it's a side. more full-bodied rosé. Okay. Yeah, if you close your eyes, it could be a very light red wine. When you drink yeah. it, you're going to be like, oh, light Pinot Noir. Okay. It's got a lot of tan. That sounds interesting. It's going to be a beautiful rosé. It's, it's a meaty rosé. Nice. Uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's a fun one. A and pool pounder? Pool pounder. It is definitely a pool pounder. Is it a skirt dropper? Skirt and jock dropper. Oh, I'm but so not sorry. That's, that's, that's back to the beginning but of the conversation. Not the panties. It's an inside yeah. joke. Inside this building. Woo. But so that's our rosé. So when you come in here, then we're going to start off with something they call Pinot Fleury. Pinot Fleury is 100% Morved. Pinot Fleury is a synonym for Morved. It's a regional term uh, that I have contacted a bunch of psalms, a bunch of authors. Wine Folly. Wine Folly said that you they didn't her. know. Wine Folly said, don't name your wine that. Yeah, so even Michael though it's a synonym. And I, so we immediately went, did. Yes, we were like, fuck that. Let's do it. And so, and it uh, made sense, yeah. right? So the one song that uh, I contacted just over Facebook and don't I can't remember I can't give credit to anyone thinks that it's from Northern Italy. You know, Morved's planted in every wine growing region in the world. When you say Northern Italy, you're talking about like by Piedmont with Nebbiolo and all. I'm that? not going to tell you exactly okay. where. So Northern Italy, French Italy, yeah, the Piedmont. Yeah, so okay. uh, supposedly there is. Regional names for Morved in every village in every uh, that area, and Pinot Fleury means uh, small flirt. But okay, but the biggest so, thing about that was in Latin. when we made it, we made it in a, a, a Pinot a Pinot Noir style, so yeah. it was a very light red, and we we kind of cool hand, fermentation temperatures handled it in the way Are the that skin's you, thin like a yes. Pinot, and we, we well they were the the grapes that we had were so that's. One of the things we looked at, and we said, look, let's just do this in a Pinot Noir style. We made it in the Pinot Noir style, put it in a bottle 12 months later or whatever. And then we, we discovered that Pinot Noir, I'm so sorry. Pinot, Pinot Fleury, Fleury is a synonym. Is a synonym. In, in Texas, we like to say that Morved is sort of like the Pinot, the Pinot Fleury of Texas. Or sorry, Pinot, Pinot, Noir. Pinot Noir of Texas. Now we're really confusing people. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm but, confusing myself. But, but in the end, what we ended up with was we ended up with a wine that – it's it doesn't matter what it's called. It's Pinot a beautiful. Pinot Fleury. Yeah. It's made in a Pinot Noir style, and people love it. And I can't tell you how many people have walked out of here and they give me a hug. They're like, "That's Andy, that's the best Pinot Noir I've ever had. And for like the first seven months, I was like, no, no, no. I already told you that's a, that's Pinot a more, Fleury. Yeah, it's Pinot Fleury. That's a Morved. Now I'm just like, look, you're having a great time. I'm not going right to step in the fucking way of it. <laughs> so, all right, go yeah. on. But with Drive that, safe. with that saying that, my dream someday is to own a vineyard someday on like the West Coast that ha- grows Pinot Noir. Very cool. That'd be cool. 
Because Pinot Noir, so one thing I was going to So you're talking about like Santa Barbara area? uh, I don't know exactly. (laughs) But uh, one of the things is that the world says if you're a winemaker, you have to know how to make, you know, Pinot Noir and you have to know how to make Chardonnay. If you can't make those two, you don't know how to make wines, right? That's what California people say. No, I think the French say you need to learn how to make those two. No, they say something like... Burgundy. Burgundy says that. They say something like... So Andy actually sure. speaks French fluently, and what that <laughs> translated to was it's all bullshit. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you'll drink. So the, it starts out the Pinot Fleury, which is lighter end of the spectrum, and then we bump up to a, a Port of Soul, which is just uh, Portuguese for sunset, and that's a sunset red wine that you need to drink and Rob, come we, in here. We name we named that wine sitting on the patio here. Really? Before yeah. the building was built, but there was concrete, and we just said, "What are you, what are we going to call this?" It's a Port red wine. It's a red wine for port sitting and sunset drinking, and nice. I like it. The name, you know, the name sounds cool, and it, it, it it's truly you what s- it is. You sit you, you sit down at a hot summer night, and you want to drink a red wine. You're probably not going to go for the tannin bomb. It's an easy. It's easy, a, an easy drink. In fact, I always call it our get. Pinot Fleury and Portisol, I call it our gateway red. Okay. If you're a white lover, a rosé lover. Trying to break in. Yeah, it, it doesn't smack you in the mouth with tannins. You're not, you're not confused by it. You're like, ah, this is pretty good. I, I call like it this. our getting wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways. That's my wife what I call you're wine. Getting. All right. What do you call, what does Rob call wine? What do I call wine? Getting juice. What do I call wine? No, what? No, no. Come on. Hey, we're drinking bourbon over here. Come on, Sandra. What do I call wine? Yes, juice. <laughs> Can I do this tonight? No. Can I do this tonight? No. How about now? Yes. Thank you. I'm going to leave it up to the editor to tell you what she just said, but it was good, Rob. <laughs> you're the man. Thank you. And then the next wine on the list is going to be probably from from uh, lightest to. Uh, you know, from one spectrum to the other is going to be our Sangiovese, which is 100% Sangiovese. It's been about three weeks on the skins. It's a delicious uh, it is wine, and I love it, and I'm very proud of it. And You should be, because I had a guy in here the other day who said he was an Italian wine specialist. And I, he liked that. Every time, every time you hear that kind of shit, you're like, hey, oh, shit, man. I don't really want to hear this. I'm doing the Jack in the Box I, finger I know, right I know, here. I know, I know, I know. Next one, But next anyways, one. anyways, I'm just going to cut to the chase. He loved it, and he said, you know what? If I was going to drink this, if I drank this and I, I didn't know where it was from, I would tell you it was from one of the outer reaches of Barolo. And I was like, holy crap, that's badass. He's like, I couldn't probably tell you the vineyard, but it was one of those southern Italy places. I was like, badass. That's and great. also this other dude told me that he was uh, Matthew McConaughey's best friend, best friend the other day when he was in the tasting room. I'm so. his best friend too. I thought so. Yeah. What, was he? Hook me up. Was he? Don't McConaughey, come out here, man. It's it's not just McConaughey. Joe Rogan, please come. I He's mean, in the vicinity. We know you're out here, Joe. Get out here. Give us an autograph. Rob wants to do talking an, like he listens to my podcast. Rob wants to do an interview with you oh, and yeah. us. Oh hell yeah. So after oh, you hey, have to close down for the day. After you're done with the San Giovese, you should probably move on to uh Six, I, I would say the 16, the 16, the 16 Tempranillo. Except for reserve. You can, except for reserve, you can, except yes. for you can't move on to that because that's I mean literally Michael. Yeah. That is the last eight bottles. The 16 Tempranillo reserve and 
that's a wine that we didn't really I mean, it's evolved since we, we started selling it, but it's really evolved now. No, no, no. It's, we'll it's, talk it, about it, it too it's, much. It's but. evolved since we first made it yeah. and put it in barrel, and we we never knew where it was going, but in the last year and a half, it's been spectacular. It's an exceptional wine. It's very, you know, we people tell us it's the likes of a, river, of a traditional Rioja. And then you go on to the 17 Tempranillo, which is just a beautiful, lively, tannic-driven uh, ten, Tempranillo. After you go f- through the seventeen Tempranillo, wait, 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 Riviera del Duero. Yeah, I would like to I say mean, it's, it's very regional. No, I mean it's, it's it's what people say, and it's what it's what we made it to be like. It's a Spanish Tempranillo. Do you see what Andy? We did with the with the. I'm I've moved on to the next bourbon. Nice suckers. Oh yeah, I like the old Weller. Here we are. So the both Tempranillos have uh. Very Old small weather. amount of American oak, new American oak, and, and mostly French oak driven. That's so, a weeded bourbon there, Andy, so different than... Wait, wait, wait. What? what? That's a weeded bourbon. Weeded. Yeah, so the recipe, you know, the grains they use, bourbon is 51% corn or more. It has to be at least 51%, followed by usually rye and then some barley in there. Okay, so... When we take out the rye and we substitute it with wheat... In the community, we call it a weeded bourbon. That's where I was confused. I thought yeah. there was THC possibly in this one. <laughs> That's the brownie next to you. <laughs> Excuse me for a second. Eat up. Man, this nose is. Now, you're still well, on the, the, the uh, Four Roses. Oh, is this still the Four Roses? Yeah, you're on wow. the Four Roses. Well, this has really opened up to I, be like I, sugar. I have to tell you that that, that Weller, unbel- that, that's unbelievable. Isn't that good? Yeah, very that's good. yeah. That's uh. Hey, it's going to be a little bit. Sure. I, I can't move on from that four roses <laughs> with all that. I can move on, but I just can't drink that whole thing. So the four the four roses is really PD for me. There you go. This is super. So, wow. what? Done with the wines. We got another one. Sangiovese is one of our favorites, my wife and I. So, but uh, in the tasting room now. I'll, 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 I'll go through it real quickly. Tempranillo, we have a Syrah, and then uh, we have a Morved Reserve. These things are wines that, that we've made that Michael and uh, the guys in the, in the winery have spent a lot of time with, spent a lot of time in barrel with some of them, or reserves. Reserve to us doesn't mean something super special. It just means we spent 18 to 24 months in barrel. And whether that's a new French or whether that's a third fill uh, neutral oak, it just we think it gives layers to the wine that we so otherwise It's kind don't. of that old world when you think about Italian wines. If you're, you're a Chianti, and, but you're a Chianti Reserva, it's just extra age in, in, in the barrel just, and the bottle. Just a little bit more time. Yeah, okay. Same thing. And so... We don't know that that more time makes it more special. But in the end... I think with wine, time makes all bottles a little bit better. I, I, I really do. You, yeah. know, you can get to a point where it doesn't make a difference. Sure. But for us, we like to, we, we like to release reds that are three years old uh, and no, no earlier. And uh, we make enough wine where we think we can do that on a regular basis. And uh, for us, that... That's the most important thing. We want to release wine that Michael and I will take home to our family, even though we're the same family, yeah. to our separate families, and enjoy that wine. Uh, your wife's telling you, wrap it up. Yeah. She, wrap it up. 
wrap it up. I don't know if she's saying it like that. She's saying your wife wants to get out of here. Uh, my wife always kicks me, but she's. I know like, my wife wants to get out of here. Yeah, my my wife. She always wanted to get out of here two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have a baby. He needs to be fed. I have no babies. Okay, so everybody heard us talking about you know the Portugal influence here, mm-hmm. but they're wondering why in the hell we haven't talked about port. So we're we're on a port project this year. That's Andy's project. Uh, we are going to use traditional port varieties in our port wine. So we'll use some Tariga Nacional. We'll Tinta also Cal. use Tinta Cal and some Susau. And some Cap Franc. Maybe a little Cap Franc. And so uh, that's Andy's project. And the um, alcohol you're going to put in it? Uh, so the alcohol is going to be 2020. Tempranillo that has been distilled and possibly a little bit of more ved okay. uh, from the estate. Okay. So we're, we're, we're actually it's two. So we have some nineteen and twenty that's distilled. I thought the first barrel. No, was it's going to be all twenty twenty. Weird, weird disagreement here. The more ved is twenty one. No, the Tempranillo that we distilled is twenty. Ah, perfect. There you go. So, so we've distilled two barrels of twenty twenty Tempranillo. We're going to do two barrels more of probably more ved. So yeah, so we'll have uh, one or two barrels of port. Um, Dose. We'll have two. We'll have two barrels of port. I, I think if we get what we were supposed to get from those four barrels. Okay. From all four barrels. Yeah. And so right now we have about eight gallons of distilled spirits at about seventy-eight percent. So we need about double that to have uh, two barrels. And so that'll be the twenty twenty. Uh, distilled spirits from our estate, which will go into a port wine that will be from our first harvest of our uh, 2021 harvest on those three varieties. And it should be a, a nice wine. So we're one of the things that I want to do. dessert wine. Yeah, so one of the things I want to do, we want to do, is to do a traditional port. So a traditional port, we're going to do a three-year port. So this is 2021. It'll be 2024 before we open it up. Um, but we think it's going to be a beautiful port. There's not a lot of folks that have the constituents that make a traditional port that are making port in Texas. And so we're going to give it our best try, and uh, we're going to do it every year. We have for all a, three here. Yeah, we're all gonna, four. We're going to do it for a, a barrel or two every year. And I think that's great. It's going to be something that I hope people uh, enjoy. And... Uh, you know, I love port. Michael, I actually don't even know if you'd like that much port, but I, I, I like port. But you know, I, I'll be honest with you. No, no. Have you been Here's lying my, this whole I was time? Say, I was Here's, just about yeah, to yeah, be honest with you. What the fuck? Starting now, huh? Oh shit. <laughs> here's here's what I like. I, I enjoy some Texas Madeiras. I enjoy those. I've had a few ports that you and your son and Christian have poured us, but. Um, my knowledge of port is very slim to none because it's just not something that I drink a lot. And backing up a, an amazing meal with a high-end port from the few dinners that I've had, I can't remember that port much. Okay. You know, I'm full on dessert or, or steak and probably a couple bottles in. <laughs> so would you rather have a dessert wine? No, he's telling you he's telling had you a few cocktails and a yeah, lot of wine. My, my, You're over the top. Yeah, my my uh, but that's experience cool. of port is very small. That's why it's Andy's project. But I'm gonna help him out with the fermentations. But that's cool. Yeah, like you don't have to love everything. And you can't. You, you I can't. If, love everything. if five years from now, Rob, you come back and he loves it, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. If he doesn't, more bottles for us. Yeah, right. Fuck yeah. him. 
But kind of what I was thinking. But all day, if you want to talk about reductive winemaking, let's talk. <laughs> and that's we'll what end it on about. that note. That's some fun <laughs> shit. No, guys, we've been going at this for going on two hours. So oh. great conversation, a lot of fun today. So edit it down to about twenty five minutes and get the best stuff and run with it. Michael, there's no best stuff. <laughs> Hey, guys, I appreciate you coming on, talking about what you guys are doing over here in this region in Texas. Hey, thank you, for, for, winery. Com- thank you for coming out here. We had a yeah, blast. this has been a lot of fun. And uh, listeners, if you guys haven't been over here, I know a lot of us like to get over to the Texas wine country. If it hasn't been on your list of places to uh, stop by, definitely put it on the list and get by here. You won't be disappointed. Wednesday, 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 Wednesday. What is the Wednesday? The big race, the big race. The big race. <laughs> Sorry, the compression is just, I can't help myself. He's already you you cut, love it, don't I'm you? I'm pretty sure he cut it. you off. Dude's going to apply for a radio job here. I think soon. so. He's proud of his voice. I love it. We, we still have like four bourbons to go. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Food, Wine, and Whiskey in Your Own Backyard. And until our next episode, enjoy your next pour. Cheers. You rock, Rob. That'll be your first five-minute. He's going to edit.